French one. We say what? Thank God is what? Amen. <laughs> uh, what a wonderful time that we have to be able to come into the presence of the Lord. Amen. And you know, some of my favorite songs, you hear them every time I'm up here, right? It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. It says, come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. And the what? Say it again. The sheep. I want you to understand that everybody know that we are the sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. Then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. You know, I think that, that means that sort of gives us the passage in. Praise brings us into that presence. That's what opens, um, opens the gates, is thanksgiving. And then we come right into his presence with praise. So if you really want to go in and you want the door open wide, it depends on the level of your praise this morning. It says, be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy and his everlasting and his truth endures to what? All generations. So this is a great time, right? TGIS. And we can say, praise God in his sanctuary. Don't we in here? Praise him in his mighty firmament. You know, we look around and we see the hurricanes and the storm. Which man can stop that? We praise God in his firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Amen. Don't be afraid. Praise him with the sound of your keyboard. Amen. Praise him with the sound of the harp, with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him, praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Can we just talk about it? Hallelujah. This morning we praise you, Lord. We thank you for bringing us into your presence this morning in our right minds. You've kept us all week, protected us, provided for us. And so this morning we come with grateful hearts to thank you and to bless your holy name. Lord, we give you the service. Holy Spirit, take full control. Do as you see fit in this service. Lord, we ask you to cleanse us. All the things that we did and didn't do this week. Just, Lord, make us worthy to come into your presence this morning. So, Lord, we thank you that we can come in that mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. TGIS. TGIS. Can I get a wave offering? Thank you, Jesus. So good to be in the house of the Lord. What a privilege. What an honor in with a heart of thanksgiving when we think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for us. He woke us up this morning. We have food on our table. We are in our right mind. We have a little money in the bank account. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whether your little is different from my little, we still have something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spouses are well children are well. Amen. Thank you, God. Come on, 
tell your neighbor we will rejoice. Come on, it doesn't matter what's going on, we will rejoice this morning. Hallelujah.
some heaven. So you know what we're going to do? Those who got it, going to make sure that those who don't have it, have it. So listen, I want you to pretend that you're going to tell somebody about your God. Pretend. Somebody who don't know, don't understand the excitement that you feel, you're about to greet them and tell them, you are good. You are good and your mercy is forever.
we have a confidence like none other because God is our rock. He's our strength. He's our salvation. He's our refuge. He's our shelter in a time of storm. He is our everything. He's the peace giver. He's the joy giver. He's the way maker. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. When my back is against the wall, God is all that and so much more. Thank you, Lord. We want to teach you a new song this morning, if that's okay. Come on, repeat after me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? So that's the first part. Pretty easy, but as we move on, I promise you, you'll get it. Is it okay? Oh, yes.
But I think we want to start doing that, okay? And, and encouraging their ministry. And all the pastors here. Amen? Okay. So now we want to welcome. It's great. It's a great time to, for us to welcome everybody. But do we have any special first-time guests with us? Do we have anybody who is worshiping with us for the very first time today? If you are, we're going to ask you to stand. Don't need to say anything. Oh, wonderful. Thank you very much for coming. Um, they'll give you a, a little packet, and in it you'll open it and you'll see that um, there's a card that you can fill out for us. Now is a good time so that you can actually drop it in the offering bucket. And at the end of the service, we will be inviting you to our hospitality suite where you will be um, royally greeted and entertained, okay? Um, thank you so very much for coming. Any second time visitors? Anybody here for the second time? We're all family, home people here. Amen. Say amen. Hallelujah. But what, one of the gifts we can give the pastor is make sure each one bring one next week. That's one of the gifts that I think would be really appreciated by our pastors. Each one bring one. Okay? Particularly since we, we, we try to honor our pastors this month. Agreed? You sure? Okay. And that goes for me too. Okay? Um, so we just thank the Lord for that. Now, um, we have some announcements. Um, you all have this. I'm not, do you read them? Do you actually read all the notices? Do you put them in your, um, your phones? I want to certainly emphasize a little bit. The Women's Conference coming up Friday, November the 3rd and Saturday, November the 4th. You need to try to invite somebody. There's, there's somebody who needs it. So if you can just ask the Lord to show you who that person might be, and if you would go to them and give them a very personal, special invitation to come for the, um, for the conference. Um, small groups start the week of Monday, October 9, at a home near you. Really is a, has the opportunity to become a very, um, what should I say? very encouraging. It's more than encouraging. It really brings us together more like family where we can really sit around the world and, and um, learn together and share together and get to know each other better. Um, our small group last time was absolutely amazing. It's changed our relationships so much with each other. Not that we didn't love each other you know, from the beginning, but we love, our, we, we love more than we even knew we could. So I want to encourage you, please, um, very important that you try to sign up and register for one of those small groups. Um, there's also a family captain and assistance meeting Sunday, November the 12th, 6.30. So that's basically uh, what most of the... Sister Knight, are you around? Um, Sister Knight has a, an announcement. Thank you. We're going to take some time to pray for our pastors. Um, it will be projected on the overhead, so if you could stand, please. In the meantime, together, Father, we pray that our pastors continue to seek greater knowledge of you. Please reveal yourself to them in a personal way. Anoint them to preach and teach the word with boldness. 
Restore and strengthen them through your grace. Fill their hearts with love for you and for people. Father, help them to discern your will for their lives and this ministry. Help them to yield themselves completely to your will. Teach them to always rejoice in you. Draw them into a more intimate relationship with you. Keep their eyes fixed on you and their ears open to your voice. Father, strengthen their faith and help them to trust in you to accomplish the work. Refresh through the Holy Spirit. Keep them from anxiety. Supply their spiritual, physical, and financial needs. Bless their children, Jonathan and Brian, with wisdom and divine protection. Help them to walk before you in integrity. Help them to serve in the spirit of humility. Lord God, answer pastors Carl and Dara Francis Fur in the day of trouble. God of Jacob, defend them. Send them help from the sanctuary. Strengthen them. Grant them their heart's desires and fulfill all their petitions in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Have a seat. I have a sh Okay, as we show our pastors appreciation this month, one of the best things you could give to them is the gift of prayer taking the time um, to pray for them. I know most of you are already praying, but what about turning the two minutes for into five minutes or the five minutes into seven minutes, just spending some more time to pray for them. As you came in this morning, you got one of these. And these are prayer prompts. They have um, like areas you can cover as you pray for them. So we're asking all of you to join us in prayer, the young people and the children. We are also asking the people who live in the north and in the east, if you could couple your prayer this week with fasting. Um, so fasting and prayer. So you choose a day, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, one of those days, or you just, uh, or, and a meal, or two days, whatever the Lord prompted to do, as you fast and pray for them, um, would appreciate it. Um, we also want to say on the back of this are some prompts, and it has to do with the upcoming conference. So as you pray, if you could join in doing that. Um, Sister Chong, just share the scripture, the theme scripture, Jeremiah 3.15. The only way our pastors can have hearts after God and have that knowledge and wisdom that comes from God is when we take time to pray that they continue to have it. So we appreciate you as you join us in prayer. The people in the South and the West, you'll fast and pray next week, okay? But everybody, we are asking you to pray. Appreciate it. Love you. Bye. Thank you, Sister Nett. And you know, um, Sister Nett is one of these people who are consistent in prayer. Consistent. And so sometimes we take that for granted, but we shouldn't. We should really understand what it takes to be consistent in prayer. Um, for us, as well as for the pastors, it really is um, amazing, you know? So I want us to remember that. Um, you know, we're going to do a tribute. And Sister Margaret Fury are coming to do that tribute. I think that every month should be passed as Appreciation Month. 
Good morning, church. Good morning to my pastors, Carl and Diary Francis, to our visitors and newcomers, to my church family and friends. When I was asked to give a tribute to our pastors, I thought, how do you put 16 years of love and appreciation in three minutes? I had to go back to my English classes and one of the techniques learned, a synopsis. <coughs> However, this, this synopsis had to be one that is so personal that you, the congregation, would identify with what is being said. Pastors Carl and Diary, I pray that our family synopsis will adequately weave a corner of this October appreciation fabric depicting God's love for his people taught to us by obedient shepherds who chose to answer the call to shepherd his flock. Jeremiah 3.15 reads, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart <clears throat> who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Pastors, it is because of your commitment that we are now part of a family that is anchored in the word of God and the body of Christ. Pastor Carl Francis, through your messages, my faith and that of my husband has grown exponentially despite the challenges we have had to face over these past years. On prayer and praying, Sister Francis. Let me go back to a time when my knowledge of God and my spiritual growth was at a slow pace. During this period, I could not in clear conscience even call myself a Sunday-only worshiper. However, Sister Francis, during this period, that what I remembered most was that you never pointed out my absences. Instead, what you did was to let me know in that quiet, direct, and personal way that is uniquely you, that you never stopped praying for me. This eventually became very personal, I'm not gonna cry, and for me, and over time, I began not only to believe, but also to be encouraged. Where I am today in my prayer life is a direct result of cause and effect. It is because of your love, because of your encouragement, because of your teaching and prayer that I now pray intentionally and purposely. I thank you for loving my family, loving my children, especially loving my children always spurring them on to love the Lord and to be all that they can be for the Lord. I thank you for telling me to leave my husband when he stayed in the churchyard for the entire service. Look at him now in the choir. <laughs> First Timothy 5:17 reads, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and the doctrine. I say to you, my friends, this morning, the laborers are indeed worthy of their wages. And this is not my words, this is scripture. 
And now let us stand. I would like the congregation to stand with us and read Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. When you found it, please say amen. Yes? For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. To you, my pastors, I take great pride and joy in saying, my pastors. This speaks of a relationship, and it is what you have nurtured here at Living Word Open Bible Church, and what we have. I say to you, pastors, be encouraged. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We, the Cura family of Living Word Open Bible Church, say God bless you and your family. We love you and thank you. Sister Francis, if you can come on the stage, please. On behalf of our family, we deeply, deeply appreciate you and we love you. And may God bless you and continue to serve in your path of ministry. Clap better than that, man. Yes, also for the family. Pastor and Sister Francis, you realize that you, you, you hear your work coming out there, all the scripture and everything happening. You see that that's part of, that's part of the teaching that you're doing. Instagram, but, but that's what you do. I'm just saying that's part of what you do, and you're seeing the return of it. That's, that's what I really am saying, you know. Um, that's how you see it and, and, and be able to appreciate it. Could almost preach a whole sermon there right now. Um. Me do what I'm supposed to do. In the next, we have our adult choir who is going to be blessing us. Um, so we're going to ask them to come. And then I'll just share with a little bit after us. Come on up and bless us.
thank them for bringing us into worship as well. Thank you. Hallelujah. 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 It's an amazing thing for us to be able to um, really just worship the Lord like that, you know. I just think it's so great. Hallelujah. Um, I just wanted to share the, the cheap facts. I call them cheap facts. Because you see, our pastor is God's shepherd over this congregation. Agreed? The word shepherd and pastor are both the same. So, who is a shepherd? A shepherd tends, he herds, he feeds, he guides, and he guards the sheep of God. That's not an easy task. Right? You agree? No. Yes, who is doing that for? Sheep. It says sheep will make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Sheep will just do it all over again. Poor Pastor Francis, right? But God has equipped him um, to do that. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we love him. Because sheep, difficult. It says they will see other sheep falling into danger. And they'll follow right behind. They'll just walk off the precipice. And a thousand of them will just walk right off. As though they didn't even see that the first one fell over. And they'll just follow. That's sheep. In case you don't know. And that, I'm not calling you sheep. The Lord refers to us as sheep. Okay? So don't think that's not my idea. Not bright enough for that. Not brave enough. It says they have no sense of direction. And they get lost so easily. That's sheep. Are we sheep? Is that how the Lord referred to us? That's who we are. And if a sheep lands on its back, it cannot right itself. And it will die if a shepherd doesn't rescue it. Imagine that. We are sheep. You sure? Therefore, when God gives us a shepherd, and he says, I want you to listen and obey, there really is help and life in that. Because without that, we would, without, you see, God knows that we need hands-on. He's our eternal shepherd, and there's no two ways about that. But sometimes if he's not, you don't have somebody with a little stick and a hook, sometimes it does say, we're going over the precipice. And so, Pastor Francis and Sister Francis, we want to tell you thanks, because we know how difficult that job is. Sheep are not easy. Not easy. And we thank you so much for who you are to us and how God has placed us in your care and we want to make sure that we honor God by honoring our pastors and sister Francis I, you know, I was thinking about it I was praying for you the other day and one of the things that the Lord showed me is that a pastor's wife is a very special position not many people make a, could make a success of that can I tell you no honestly and so in addition to honoring you as a pastor in your own right. As the wife of a pastor, you have a double role. And so we want to let you know that we recognize that, that we love you, and that we understand that God has chosen you specifically to be Reverend Carl's helpmate, lifetime helpmate. And we just want to honor both of you in that way. So, Pastor Francis, you chose wisely as a pastor. So, thank you very much. Um, and then before Pastor Francis comes on, I'm going to tell you what I think we should, we should actually give him. Amen? 
Um, so now it's time to what? It's time to what? That's a form of worship. Don't we want to raise our voices in worship? Amen? Um, God is good to us. Amen. You know I'm coming for you, right, my brother? <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we take this time now, Lord, in service to worship you with our giving, help us to remember, Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh. And everything that we have, not just something, but everything that we have, comes from you, Lord. Because the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So we know that you own everything. And you only allow us to manage what you've blessed us with, Lord. So, Father, touch our hearts now so that we may give willingly and cheerfully. And, Father, as we give, we pray that you use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. things that I have in my mind that I would love to see happen, okay? Um, one of them is me dancing, right? I haven't given up on that, by the way. Okay? I just have to convince Pastor Francis that it, I, I would be able to do it. Um, and the other thing is I would love to see everybody who plays a, an instrument. I don't care what the instrument is. Up here. And when we really begin to play and the Spirit of the Lord really take over that music, I tell you, it's going to transform the church and just... That's my prayer before that. Every, I don't care which instrument you play. You need to be up here playing it for the Lord. Amen? Now, so I thought before I asked Pastor Francis, one of the things as I, you know, been praying, I thought, what would, what, what do, this is me, this is not, what would Pastor Francis really um, appreciate if we were able to give our pastors something, really something, I don't mean a tie, because I don't think Pastor Francis wants to see another tie from me, I was saying, okay? So, 
But if we were really to give our pastors something that they would really appreciate and love, one of the things I thought of, he would like us as sheep that he has responsibility for, this flock, to be full of the Holy Spirit and on fire for the Lord. Seeking the Lord at our Bible study. Please supposed to be overflowing for Bible study. And when you talk about prayer, we have to have a remote because the place is fully careful anymore, so we have to use the other building. That's what I believe would be a fitting gift if we could give our pastors something tangible. I think that's what Pastor Francis and Sister Francis would like. I think they would like to see their, their sheep full of the Holy Spirit, learning and growing, and then actively leading others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is what I believe we need to give our pastors. And so once again, I want to encourage us to really let our pastors know how we are blessed by their ministry, by their time, by all that they do for our sheep. And that we know that we are sheep sometimes. And that we love them and appreciate them. And so as Pastor Francis comes, we really just want, I don't know, I want at the end of this time for you to really understand our heart towards your pastor. And that it is a heart full of love and appreciation, respect and honor. And we thank you for what you do. Amen. Your money can clap, it's okay. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. God is good. And all the time. Just know that one of the very important things also is that the shepherd loves the sheep. That's very important to know. And the shepherd doesn't run away from the sheep and leave the sheep in danger. So the shepherd is always there to stand with the sheep. So we stand with you. We want you to know that. And we're always there to stand with you. This morning, we're going to be... Uh, Looking at the Word of God in an interesting aspect. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Our Father and our God, we thank you that your words are life unto those that find them. And literal medicine unto all flesh. May you speak to our hearts today. May we hear from you. Be led by your spirit, guided by your spirit. May what your word teaches us, may we follow. Because your word is life and it is medicine unto those that find it. May your people find it today. And may it be life and medicine unto everyone. Those here and those watching us by the world wide web. Holy Spirit, I ask you to take full and complete control. And we give you permission. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We ask that you will do what only you can do, God. Be glorified in this place. Be exalted and be lifted up. May your people be edified. And truly, may the devil be terrified. This we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people says, Amen.
Now, there was a newspaper article of which you would be very surprised, not one of those headings that you would expect to see in a newspaper article. Um, it was very shocking when I read it some years back, and it was very frightening. And I want to tell you what that article, the heading of that article, it says, Deacons in Machete War in the Church. Can you imagine that being in a newspaper? That's the heading, Deacons in Machete War in the Church. And what we had was a situation in a church where there were division. Some were on this side with the pastor and some were on the other side. And believe it or not, the deacons had come to church with their machetes. Now that's a very dangerous thing. Now that's something we could never expect to see or even hear. And these people would consider themselves as what? Christians. They'll consider themselves as believers. And before they brought the machete, I can't imagine how holy and sanctimonious some of them were. But it tells us of the danger we can get into where we can have such conflict and division in the church that we end up in a problem. And even good people can be caught up in something terrible. And so you have to guard yourself. So this morning I want us to look at a couple of scripture. And I want to take a moment and we are going to begin to look at the early church in the book of Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to take a little journey with you from Acts chapter 4 all the way through Acts chapter 15. That's where I'm going to stop. I'm going to be skimming through. But I'm going to be using the Living Bible Translation wording because it is so clear that you can't miss it. So I want to begin in verse 4, in chapter 4, and I want to begin at verse 32. Acts chapter 4, begin at verse 32. And I want to begin to talk about, we see here, we see that the people were united by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in verse 32, all the believers were of one heart and mind. All the believers were of one heart and mind. And no one felt that what he owned was his own. Everyone was sharing. What a church that was, eh? And the Bible says, And the apostles preached powerful sermons about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And there was warm fellowship among all the believers. And no poverty existed in the church. Can you imagine that? For all who owned land or houses, hello, listen carefully, sold them, and brought the money to the apostles to give others in need. Now, I don't know, you know, if you own two homes or pieces of land, can you imagine? Some were selling their excess land, some were selling another house. They were bringing the money and they were leaving it to the apostles so that everybody in the church, the needs were taken care of. And they talked about verse 36. For instance, there was a man, Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. The encourager, they called him. He was of the tribe of Levi from the island of Cyprus. He was one of those who sold a field and he brought the money to the apostles. So this was what was happening in the church. There was a unity. There was a coming together. The people were of one mind. They were considered nothing their own. Everything was, we, you know, belongs to the Lord. And whoever's in need, we're going to help that person. Now I'm going to jump all the way to chapter 9. And what we find in chapter 9 of Acts chapter 9, we see that there's a transition. There's a man by the name of Paul or Saul. 
He was breathing out, the Bible says, every breath and eager to destroy every Christian. And he went to the high priest in Jerusalem, the Bible says. He requested a letter addressed to synagogues in Damascus, requiring their cooperation in the persecution of any believers he found there, both men and women, so he could bring them in chains to Jerusalem. This was Saul. And the Bible told us in, that, in chapter 9 that as he, was, he was near Damascus. A bright light came. He fell down, he, and God met him on the Damascus road, and he was converted. Now, as soon as Paul was converted, he began to preach fervently, the Bible says. Acts chapter 9, 22, Paul became more and more fervent in his preaching. And the Damascus Jews couldn't withstand his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Christ. What a transformation that has taken place. When you really meet Jesus, when you really know Jesus, when you really have an encounter with Jesus, there is a change in your life. You know the song says, great change since I was born. Great change. And so the, the, the Bible tells us he was preaching vehemently. He was preaching fervently. And some of the Jews wanted to kill him. So he went to Jerusalem. And when he went to Jerusalem, the Bible says the believers there were afraid of him. They didn't want to take him in. Because remember, he was persecuting Christians. So they thought he was a fake. So somebody came to his rescue. The Bible tells us in verse 27, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told him how Paul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus, what the Lord had said to him, and all about his powerful preaching in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas came to his rescue. Barnabas said, no, 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 this guy is really genuine. His conversion is really genuine. He's really changed. I have seen his preach, seen him preaching. Many are coming to Christ. He's an anointed vessel of God. And then the Bible says, because of Barnabas' word, they accepted him, and he was among the believers. Then I got to jump to chapter 11. I told him I'm walking through quickly. And the Bible says, soon the news reached the apostles and other brothers in Judea, in Judea that Gentiles were being converted now. Gentiles were being converted, not just Jews, but because of Paul's preaching, the Gentiles were coming into the church. The Gentiles were being saved. And the news re reached the council, the head ones in Jerusalem. What did they do? Verse 22. When the church in Jerusalem heard what had happened, guess who they sent? They sent Barnabas to Antioch to help the new converts. So Barnabas went down to Antioch to help the new converts, and they were rejoicing in what God was doing. But the Bible told us something in verse 25 that is interesting. It says, after a time, Barnabas went to Tarsus to hunt for Paul. Barnabas went to look and find Paul. What did he do? He brought him back to Antioch because he thought that Paul's ministry could be effective in Antioch. You know, not many, some people would not do that. You know, they, they would just enjoy and just be there and ministering and people were getting saved. No, no, Barnabas wasn't selfish. He says, Paul, I know, is a good servant of God. And he went and find Paul and brought him to Antioch. And so the two of them now began to preach there in Antioch. And the Bible says to us that in, the, in, verse, in chapter 12, that one day Paul and Barnabas and some of the brethren were fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit says to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul, because I have 
a special job for them. The Holy Spirit spoke. So you know there's word of knowledge coming through the Bible. We see this in this service. There was a word of knowledge. The brethren had gathered together. And they were praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit spoke through somebody there and said, God, I want to separate. I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas for a special job that I have for them. And so God speaks. We know that. He speaks to us all the time. And so the, this, they separated them. And so now we sort of see what I call the dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas. And the Bible tells me that they left on a journey, the missionary journey, and they took John Mark with them, a young disciple. And they, the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 4, directed by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and they sailed from Cyprus, and they continued to some of the other towns. And they were preaching from town to town, both of them, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, preaching from town to town, and many were coming to Christ. Now they got to a certain point, the Bible tells us, and when they came to a certain town, John Mark decided he wasn't going any further with them. And the Bible used the word deserted. John Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas. And what we find we're going to see later on is that somewhere in the heart of Paul, he never forgot the fact that John Mark deserted them. He had that down somewhere in his heart. And so we're going to see how that comes to play later on. So Paul and Barnabas continued to minister. They continued to travel on into other cities. And the Bible says in verse 46 that Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and declared it was necessary that this good news from God should be given first to the Jews. But when the Jews didn't want to accept it, they turned to the Gentiles. Now, in chapter 14 of Acts, we're moving too quickly as I told you. We get to chapter 14 and we find that they're at Iconium. And the Bible says Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo, went together to the synagogue and preached with such power that many, both Jews and Gentiles, were saved. These two were being used of God in a powerful way together. And I can't imagine the relationship they had. A strong bond together. God used them both together in ministry powerfully. And we, we even see while they were at a place called Lystra, while Paul was preaching, he looked at a man that was born crippled. This is very interesting. Paul, the Bible says when Paul looked at him, he saw that he had faith to be healed. Can you imagine your facial expression can indicate something as if you are really believing God? And Paul looked out and he saw the man that was crippled from birth. And he said, the Bible says he saw that he had faith to be healed. And he said to him, get up, rise and be healed. And the man jumped up. The crippled man jumped right up. And was now walking and healed. And he was healed. And the people in that town thought he was a god. And they called Barnabas one type of God. And they called Paul another type of God. And they went to them. They were ready to worship them. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 no. Don't worship us. We are people like you. We are mere mortals like you. You need to know what that power came from. That power comes from Jesus Christ. He is the one that, that did this. Not us. We don't have the power to heal the man. And so they were powerful witnesses together there. Now, you know, not very long after, they went to another city. And they went into they, they, people who were against them. Did you know that even when you are in the will of God, the enemy is going to raise up trouble for you? 
And they raised up some troublemaker because some of the Jews still did not want to believe that you could be saved without circumcision. They still believed that for you to be a true believer, you had to be circumcised. You had to follow Moses' law. But Paul and Barnabas had come into the light and they realized, for we are saved by faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it is that they stirred up some people and they came at Paul and Barnabas and they actually stoned Paul, dragged him out of town, and the Bible says they left him there thinking that he was dead. And all of a sudden, when the believers surrounded him, the Bible says he got up. God protected him. And he got up and they went to and they went into another place to preach. And so the next day, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas left for another city. And they began to preach again and to work with the believers and strengthen the believers and teach them and encourage them and tell them. Here's what he says. They encourage them to continue in the faith in spite of all the persecution, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. My friends, as a child of God, life is not going to be always easy. And some people want to think that once I am a Christian, everything is supposed to flow smoothly. Oh, no. Tell the person beside you, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Life doesn't flow smoothly because you're a Christian. In fact, the enemy targets you because he wants to discourage you. He wants you to turn back. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to say, this Christian thing doesn't work because why am I going through so much trouble? If God has so much power, why doesn't he help me? Why doesn't he rescue me? But you got to come like Paul. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. My friends, this is not home. We're not home yet. And because we are not home yet, we are going to suffer some things here. Amen? We are going to go through. God, we will come through, but we are going to have to go into fire sometime. But we will come through. Amen? But nevertheless, he allows them to go into the fire. Remember the three Hebrew boys? He didn't stop them from going in the fire. They went into the fire, but he stood in the fire with them. Amen? That's what he will do for us. So when you become a child of God, it doesn't mean that your problems go away. Because, you know, guess what? You can't grow if you have no problems. The only way for you and I to grow spiritually is that we need, some, we need to have some spiritual muscles. And spiritual muscles doesn't come by you doing nothing. You know, you see those guys at the gym, amen? They don't do all these different things. Hey. You don't get there by just not exercising the muscles. You got to do some exercise with the muscles. Amen? Same thing with your spiritual life. In your spiritual life, you need some exercise of your spiritual muscles. You got to exercise your faith. How are you going to exercise your faith if you don't have a situation that requires you to use your faith to believe God so that you can see God work? And so God starts out with you with believing him for lunch money. 
Then you got to believe in him for more than lunch money, car payment. Then you got to believe in him for something more, for the rent or for the mortgage. Then you got to believe in him for more. It just keeps going like that. That's how your spiritual muscles is developed. So you're going to have these challenges, and God is going to allow them, not because he doesn't like you, not because he doesn't care about you, but in fact, that's why he have, allows you, because he cares for you. And he's trying to build your spiritual muscles. So they had problems. They had issues. And they had to run from a certain place. They had to hide, let Paul down one time in a basket over the wall, and they had to go away. Finally, Paul and Barnabas came to Antioch after they'd made a full circle of where they'd gone to. And then one day, Paul said to Barnabas, you know what? We need to go visit the churches again and to strengthen the believers. And Barnabas says to Paul, why don't we take John Mark with us? And Paul says, oh no, I remember that young man. He deserted us. I don't like deserters, Paul says. I don't love those people who walk out on me. I'm not taking him. Barnabas says, I need you, you need to take him. Paul says, I'm not taking him. Barnabas says, well, if you don't take him, I'm not going with you. And Paul got mad, and Barnabas got mad, and the both of them got angry and upset. Can you imagine? Over not taking a young little boy with them, the two of them, and you know, it was, the Bible says the contention was so sharp that Paul went his separate process. If you don't want to, if you insist on taking Mark, you take him and you go your way. But I'm going the other way, and I'm going to take Silas with me. So Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took Mark, and this contention was so sharp, they split, and they went another, each went their own way. And the question I ask myself is, could it have been different? Was there a way to have resolved that conflict in the church so that it wouldn't have to end like that? In order to understand that, I'm going to ask Sister Chenieri Obina. She's coming, and she's going to explain to us what's the, what could have happened. How will you handle that situation? Give her a hand as she comes. She is a, she's an attorney that's also doing her PhD in, in, in mediation, conflict resolution. And so since she is, that's her field and her expertise, let's hear from her how you handle that. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity to be here and do this presentation. I really appreciate it, and I also appreciate you for the work that you do for the ministry. I'm Pastor Diary as well. Good morning, church. Okay, so Pastor has provided a wonderful backdrop to this story about Paul and Barnabas and the issue they had at that time. You know, they had a common objective, which was to visit the churches that they had you know, uh, that uh, they had preached to during the first missionary journey, and they wanted to visit this church. And um, I want to pay particular attention to verse 39, even though Pastor had emphasized on it. Um, the passage says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted with one another. The contention was so sharp. 
And I want, to, I want us to look at what is on the PowerPoint screen and just look at what is going on there. That's a rope going apart. The passage says, Paul was determined and Barnabas insisted. So they were on both sides of the conflict. And as Paul was determined and Barnabas was insisting, this was what was going on. The rope was going apart. And we know at a point they parted. And Paul went his way and Barnabas went his way. Remember, they had a common objective. The question is, were they very effective? Could it have been um, another way? Could the result? I know that they went and visited the church's brethren and encouraged them. But could they have been more effective if this conflict had been resolved? You know, um, before I go into what conflict is, what causes it, in what situations they arise, and how we can deal with them, I want us to do a little exercise. It's not going to take time, just a couple of seconds. I want you to think in your mind, um, what does conflict mean to you? When you think about conflict, what word, what image comes to your mind when you think about conflict? 20, 20 to, um, 10 to 10, 20 seconds. It's not going to take long. Just file it away. And I just want to talk about my own uh, metaphor about conflict. Because of my legal background, when I thought of conflict before, this was what came to my mind. This is a trial court. You see those two men in uniform? They are geared up, suited up, waiting for battle. That's what they are going to do. They are ready to vanquish their opponents. They will use whatever they have in their arsenal to marshal out their arguments, and the end point is to win. They are not, both of them could be friends. They could go to the bar, right, after the, after the session. But at this time, they are opponents, and they are ready to vanquish each other. And that was my impression of conflict. I don't know if that's what you think of conflict, but right now, with my um, uh, transition into this field and what I know about conflict and its resolution, I'm beginning to have a rethink. So this is what I think of conflict now. This is, not what I, this is the end result of my metaphor, right? I'm talking about the process that this woman went through to get to this point, and that is the birthing process. It is a necessary process, right? After nine months, there is no going back. You can't change your mind. You have to go through it, right? You, you have to do the business, okay? It is tasking. It is challenging, but it must be done. And when you go through that process, this is the end result. Smiles, you know, you even forget about the process. Some of us have gone through it four times, like me. I don't know why I went back four times. It must have been the joy, you know. <laughs> but this is, this, is what, what, this is the end result. Uh, but the process was tasking and challenging, like I said. So for me, that's what conflict is. It is tasking. It is challenging. We must go through it. But at the end of it, this, is, this represents the result. There is growth, yeah, right? There is addition. She went in alone, and now there are two of them, Okay. So we go ahead to talk about conflict. What does conflict mean? When we hear conflict, what does it mean? Now, there are different definitions of conflict within the conflict resolution field, but this is one of my favorites. It's by two authors, Wilmot and Hawker, and they say that conflict is an express struggle between at least two interdependent parties who perceive incompatible goals, scarce resources, and interference from others in achieving their goals. Now, that's a long definition, right? I couldn't even get into my head. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to unpack 
this definition. Look at those two guys. Is there anybody in doubt whether they're in conflict or not? Look at that family on the right. Is anyone in doubt whether they're in conflict or not? It's an express struggle. It's not going on in our heads. It's not going on in our hearts. We can see it. Those two guys are bearing down on each other, right? And the parents are going at it with the children watching. So no one is in doubt that a conflict is going on. So if it's just going on in your head or somewhere else, it's not a conflict until it is community, communicated in a way, either by your facial expression, by the posture of your, of your body, or by verbal. I mean, you can, you, can, you can talk about it, as we can see in the picture. And um, conflict is between at least two interdependent parties. What does that mean? Interdependence means that they are closely related, right? They depend on each other in one way or another. Think about it. The most recent conflicts that you've had. And like Pastor said, conflict happens everywhere, even amongst the deacons in the church. And so we're not immune from that. Think about the, the conflicts you've had most recently. Was it not with someone that was closely related to you? Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse, or people in the office. Okay, so conflict is usually be between two people or among people who are closely related. And, of course, there could be a perce um, perceived uh, incompatible goals. Look at those guys. They are probably business partners, right? And they could be having a conflict as to whether they should take a contract from the state government or whether they should look at it from the federal government. Now, that's their objective, but they could have a conflict as to what to do at what point. And it could be that the parties perceive that there is scarce resources. And resources could mean anything. Look at that family on the right. I don't know if the fight is about the fact that the fruit is not going to go around, right? Whether the pineapple is not enough, maybe we should add some oranges. But you can see there may be perceived scarcity of resources. And even the, we see this in the offices where the teams are fighting because they want to get a bigger cut of the budget. And so they believe that there is a scarcity of resources and then conflict ensues. And I want to talk about perception because sometimes we think that it's actually happening. But sometimes it's the way we feel, the way we think about it. We perceive that there is scarcity. Meanwhile, there is not. But we think that there is and that engenders conflict. And sometimes there is a perception of interference with achieving our goals. And this is exactly what happened in the case of Paul and Barnabas. They have a common objective. They know what they want to do. They wanted to visit the churches. But the conflict was, how do we do it? Barnabas wanted to take John Mark because he was the one that introduced him to the party. And Paul was insistent, no, we're not going to do that because he abandoned us. He deserted us during the first time. And I don't trust him the second time around. And sometimes when you have this, this is actually what happens. When people perceive that other people are standing in their way. Think about the conflicts you've had and put yourself in that definition and see whether you were thinking maybe um, I want to achieve my goal and this person is standing in the way or there's a perception, there's a scarcity of resources or whatever. But these are some of the causes, the main causes of conflict. And as we go on, I just want to make some salient points about conflict. Some of them are the myths that we have about conflict and I want to help you to dispel some of them. The first one is that Conflict is a fact of human existence. I want us to know that. It is a fact as long as we're human beings, as long as we're here on this side of the earth, 
and we are interacting with people. Remember, it is between two or more interdependent parties. As long as I'm interacting with people in the church, in the workplace, in the family, there will be conflict. So don't think that if you're going through conflict or if you're going to enter into one, there is nothing abnormal about it. It is normal. And when you know something is normal, right, you relax, right? You know, you relax, okay? And secondly, um, conflict is, conflict occurs in all facets of life. In all facets of life. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom and whether you're at the top of the ladder of the management in your company, whatever you do, some people will say, oh, I want to work from home because I think it's easier to work at home. I don't want to deal with the conflict that goes on in the offices. You guess what? When you start at home, conflict is waiting right there, right? Because there's interaction with your children, with the people that come into work for you and all of that. So it occurs in all facets of life. And conflict takes place in all kinds of settings. And I want to pause here for emphasis. All kinds of settings. Because when you think of conflict, you think it only happens in the workplace, right? Or in uh, our homes. But conflict takes place in the church. It takes place in the church. I want to stop that to emphasize that. There is nothing abnormal about it. It happened in the, in the um, passage that we saw. And there's nothing abnormal about it. Because the, thi the thinking is we're one big loving family. And we are. We are. That's why I'm here. That's why I stayed after I came the first time. Because we're one big loving happy family. But guess what? Conflict will happen in one big loving family. So we need to know that there's nothing abnormal. There is nothing wrong with that. Okay? And that goes into the last point that Conflict is not inherently bad. I know the first letters of that word is C-O-N, which is con, which is against, contrary, negative. But conflict in itself is not inherently bad. It is what you do with the conflict. Do you deal with it in a constructive way or do you deal with it in a, in a, in a, negative, in a negative way? Okay, so... Dealing with conflict, I want to talk about how then do we deal with conflict? What do we do so that we see the positive aspect of conflict? But first of all, I want to talk about how we have been dealing with conflict. What, is our, what has been our conflict behavior? What has been the ways that we have approached conflict? Within the field, we have what we call five conflict styles. And I want you, as I go through this, to locate yourself within the, uh, the styles. I once read a book by Tim LaHaye, uh, Spirit Control Temperament. And we know that we're all born with different temperaments. But the argument of Mr. LaHaye is whatever your temperament is, you can give it to the Spirit of God and it can make it work to the glory of God, right? And so that's the view with which I want us to, uh, to look at this. Locate yourself in one of these styles and see where you fit in. First of all, I want to talk about the avoiding people. These people avoid conflict. They, they want nothing to do with conflict, okay? They will change the topic or the subject when it comes up. They don't want to engage. You ask them, do you want us to talk about it now? They say, no, I'll think about it tomorrow. You know what? Tomorrow never comes. They will never think about it, not tomorrow or ever. And you know what happens? It goes under the carpet, and one day, three years later, when the carpet is being swept, 
You know what happens? The issues are right there. And you're going to deal with it. It's like the ostrich that puts his head in the sand and says, thank God I'm covered. But you know what? He thinks he's covered, but one other part of his body is exposed and he's not covered. So those are the avoiders. They avoid conflict. And that's not good. You have to engage in order to deal with it. The competing people say, it's my way or the highway. So they're coming aggressive, just like the trial court that I showed you. They want to vanquish the opponent. They don't want to consider the other person's perspective. It's about their way, and that's how they deal with conflict. And the compromisers, the compromising people, they say, half a loaf is better than, one, is better than none. So these people are quick to settle conflict. They don't want to think about the issues. The point is, if you don't think about the issues in details and you quickly settle the conflict, what happens is that over time, those issues will keep coming up again and again. So there is no um, value in quickly resolving these conflicts, but that's what the compromisers do because for them, half a loaf of bread is better than none. But in this case, I think you better eat the whole loaf because it's better. Okay, if you can just wait a, a moment, you can eat the whole loaf of bread. And for those of you that, I don't eat bread, but for those of you that eat bread, you know that when you eat the whole thing, that it, um, the one you want to eat, that is usually tastier, right, than when you compromise. And the fourth one is the accommodating people. They say, I am happy to oblige. They give in easily. It, the, these people deny their own needs. You see, in conflict, it's important that you acknowledge your own needs, that you acknowledge, acknowledge your own interests. You acknowledge what it is that is your point of view, your perspective is very important. But these people, they don't. They give in easily to the other person because they say, you know what, I'm happy to oblige. Let's just go. But that's not how to resolve conflict. Just like in the other perspective, it will come back. So the best thing is to resolve the conflict in a constructive way where all the interests are accommodated. And that's exactly what you have with the collaborators, the collaborating people. They say two heads are better than one. And to say it in a better way even, two good heads are better than one, right? And so for these people, they accept responsibility for their own role in the conflict. They are flexible. They support the other person. I want to hear your view. In as much as I, this is my perspective, but I also want to hear your perspective. And they don't come bearing down on the other person. They are flexible to work with whatever the other person works. And within the field, this is considered the most appropriate way to resolve conflict, the collaborators. So as I've mentioned this, I just wanted you to locate yourself within that and see where you fall into. And as I go through the strategies, you see what adjustments that you need to make so that when we deal with conflict, we can deal with it in a constructive way, okay? So talking about conflict resolution strategies, you know in the, in the, in the scriptures, if you read down, we were not told whether the... Um, uh, the, uh, apostles or uh, ministers, whether they reconciled. Of course, the, um, the passage that, I, uh, that Pastor read tells us in detail about the conflict, but we we're not told about the resolution. But I know, that there was a, I, I know that there was a reconciliation because further down in Scripture, Paul talks about Barnabas and, um, and Paul, and he talks about them in very favorable terms. So my interpretation of that is that there was a reconciliation. But right now we're talking about today. If you find yourself in conflict, how, how do you deal with it 
in a constructive way because that's our goal. We know about the destructive way, but that's, we don't want to go there, right? Because that, that road leads straight to hell. But now we're talking about how to deal with it within the church so that the common objective, for instance, of this ministry, which is to build families, right, that we achieve it. And that's how we can do it. First of all, one of those strategies, like generally speaking, you have to engage. You have to communicate. So for the avoiders, it is a no-no. It doesn't even work with the avoiders because they don't even want to engage. So I strike them out. You have to engage. You have to communicate. However you do it, you have to. So that's the foundation. Number one, one of the skills that we can employ during conflict is active listening or re reflective listening. I know we, we've heard this so many times, but there's nothing wrong with taking refresher courses, right? There's nothing wrong with that. So this could be a refresher course for some of us. For some of, of us, this could be the first time we're hearing it. But reflective listening is more than just listening. It means to listen with your whole senses. It doesn't mean to be hearing what the person is saying and one eye is on the television watching the, um, is it one of those soap operas or um, the Super Bowl. No, that's not listening. Reflective listening is listening to what the person is saying and reflecting it back to the person, saying it back to the person. Do I hear you say that what, what you're saying is that, you know, so what it means is that I'm hearing you, I'm validating what you're saying, and I'm acknowledging what you're saying. And that way, the person feels that, you know, you want to hear what he has to say, and there is a possibility of the conflict actually being resolved. So that's the starting point. Secondly, you have to externalize the problem. What it means is that the person that you're in conflict with is not the problem. The problem is the problem, okay? For instance, I'll give you an example. If the problem or the issue in contention is overspending, okay? There is overspending in the family and it's a problem in the family. You don't say you overspend all the time because when you say that, guess what you're doing? You're making the person the problem because what's going to be the response? I don't overspend. You overspend. I don't overspend. By the time you know it, it's a conflict between I and you. But what if you say overspending is the problem? I think overspending is the problem. Can you imagine even saying it to myself, hearing it? I'm not tense anymore because when I heard you overspend, I'm like, nah, I don't overspend. But when you hear overspending is the issue, what you say, okay, if overspending is the issue, what are we going to do about it? And so we isolate ourselves and make the problem the problem, okay? Um, so another thing, the last one is dealing with emotions. Emotions, very, um, um, emotions are very um, integral, critical part of, um, I'm sorry, critical part of uh, conflict before it used to be ignored by the field. But emotions engender conflict. They cause conflict, and emotions escalate conflict. And so if we have to deal with conflict, we have to deal with emotions. You have to deal with the emotions, whether it's anger, frustration, whatever it is, you have to deal with it before you get to the issue. The first way is to recognize and understand both your own emotions and the emotions of the other party. What am I feeling? What is the person feeling? Because if you don't understand what the person is feeling, you cannot move on with it. You cannot address it. And you have to express these emotions in a non-confrontational manner. One of those ways is to use I statements. I feel frustrated. 
I feel bad, not you make me frustrated. Because once you say that, you're throwing it back at the person. But when you say, I feel frustrated, the next question might be, why are you frustrated? And you can take it from there. And lastly, is to acknowledge each other's emotions as legitimate. When you delegitimize other people's emotions, then we can't get anywhere. You have to at least legitimize it and say, I understand what you're feeling, but how do we go on from there? And of course, if a threat is imminent, if a physical threat is imminent, the best thing is to exit that scene. So you don't keep, you know, she said we should, you know, engage in a non-confrontational way and the person has a machete. No, run for your life, okay? That's the best thing to do at that time. You run for your life, okay? So if a threat is imminent, the best thing is to run. After we can come back and then we can say, I feel frustrated after that, okay? So um, I just want to reemphasize that conflict is a natural fact of life. Conflict is in itself not bad. The important thing is how to deal with conflict. How do we deal with conflict? And that we have gone through that. And so I want us to look at that picture. Some of us might be going through that right now. Some of us might go to that in the future. My goal is that if this is you right now or if this will be you, that putting in practice all that I've said today will move you from this point to this point. Now they have a lot of fruits to share. There's no scarcity. There's not going to be any conflict. There is growth in that because they have gone through that process and they have grown. Thank you so much. Amen. That was very good. So now we all know how to resolve the conflict. And those of you that have some conflict, you know what to do. Engage. Somebody said, you cannot conquer what you will not confront. And so conflict is not something you run away from, but actually something you try, to, as you heard, to resolve. And you don't resolve it, as you heard, with all the various things, except to acknowledge where you are, your problem is, and to acknowledge the other person's problem. One of the things that I was thinking about with conflict as I was coming this morning was the fact that you really, and she said it, interdependent persons. Because I was thinking that the greater, the, the stronger the relationship, do you know the stronger the conflict? Because you don't, I was thinking, if you're walking down the street and somebody said, look at that skinny foot man. It doesn't bother you. Because you don't really know the person. There's no relationship. But if you walk in and a relative see you and it says, is it bird season? Why you, what's going on here? You feel differently. Isn't that true? So that interrelationship, that interdependence thing tells me that when the relationship is stronger, the conflict becomes greater. That's why marital conflicts are such strong things. But here's the great thing about it. 
When you resolve conflict in the right way, intimacy increases. So in a relationship, in a marital relationship, if you can learn to apply the principles that our sister talked about today, and even in the church, when you resolve conflict in the right way, there is a greater bond with you and that person. There's intimacy increases with that person. And so I want to encourage us as we as a church that focuses on family, a friendly church with a family focus. As we focus on family, this was part of what we wanted to talk about and this part of trying to make sure that we, if there are conflicts, we just don't sweep them under the carpet, but we actually confront them in a nice manner. In a way where you're willing to, first of all, acknowledge where you were at fault. Because it's never one-sided. A conflict is ever rarely one-sided. There needs to be somebody acknowledging where I made a mistake and the other person acknowledging what they did wrong. And if we both can acknowledge that, we can there's a starting point in where we can start to make sure we resolve the conflict. Because what a wonderful thing. When you live on a conflict, there's great tension. You realize that? Great tension. And you just wish this thing would get over. You're going to work, and there's a problem on the job with somebody, and you want to go to work, but you don't want to go to work. You want to, see the, you want to get a result of the person, and you're, you're anxious about seeing the person because you're thinking, how am I going to face them? What are they going to say to me today? Or what am I, how am I going to respond to them today? Well, the thing is to take the person privately to the side and say, can I talk with you? And the, one of the best things is for you to start, you start by acknowledging your fault first. Doesn't matter if you think that they were the wrong party. You start with yourself. And not, you don't say, I am sorry if I upset you. That doesn't do any good. I am sorry if. That word if says you don't think you have done that. You have to be acknowledging, I am sorry that I upset you. I apologize. I want to make right. And so when the person here, you are acknowledging that you did something and that you want to make right, it starts the, the way, it sets this, the atmosphere to come to a good resolution and to build a lasting friendship and relationship that's greater than you had before. That's one of the things conflict does. It can give you a stronger relationship than you had before. But you need to resolve it in the way our sister talked about, in the collaborative way, where I acknowledge mine, you acknowledge yours, and we're not here to tell each other about the thing. And so in, I think the greatest thing is in a lot of marriages, which is one of the things that happens, is that she says, we make the person the problem and not the problem the problem. So let's keep focusing on the problem and not the person. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against what? But against principalities and powers. You're, that person is not your enemy. The devil is working, but the person is not your enemy. He's at work in the person. Which is why Christ, when Peter made a statement, Jesus turned to Peter and says, I rebuke you, Satan. 
He didn't say, I rebuke you, Peter. He said, I rebuke you, Satan, because he knew that Peter is not wrestling. It wasn't a wrestle with flesh and blood. It wasn't a wrestle with Peter. It was the enemy working through Peter. So that person was not his enemy. He corrected. He reached the right person. So let's hope that uh, you can go from this morning, and if there is some conflict that you have right now, that you know your next step. Your next step is to approach that person or call that person or write to that person and begin to acknowledge first where your part in it. Don't, don't, don't say, well, you know, you started it. No, 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 no. I, I, I know I was at fault. I should have. I am sorry. Those are very important things to say in the beginning. And when you do that, now you open the door for a real dialogue, a real opportunity to get to a resolution. And you stop the stress that you're under right now. Because conflict causes so much stress. Blood pressure rises. Unresolved conflict, that is, sorry, causes so much pressure. All right, amen? Let's give our sister another big hand. We appreciate what she did. We pray for her as she continues her studies. She's wrapping up her PhD in uh, mediation. And just uh, we're trying to give her, just remember her in your prayers. Amen? She wrapped. Let's all stand together. You want to remember as we close, uh, different ones have lost loved ones and lost relatives in the, in the uh, wake of the hurricane and all kinds of things. And of course, what has happened in Las Vegas and other places and we have our sister Louise, who's lost, who's have families in Puerto Rico that has been impacted, and she also lost an aunt, Lisa Fisher. We want her, may God rest her soul in peace, and pray for the family at this time. And there are others who have are grieving, um, and they suffer loss, and we need to remember them in our prayers, Amen, and to stand with them. Right after we dismiss you. We are going to ask the first-time guests, and those who invited them, our sister is right there in the back, to Sister Bennett, to escort you to the hospitality suite, where you'll be refreshed before you leave. And then we'll be going to our various classes. Um, in the couples class, we're picking up where we left off, teaching last time, um, to resolve some issues. We're going to be resolving some conflict. So, we're going to be talking about those. Conflict and marriages, amen? But God is good. He's able. Raise your hand as I pronounce the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give his peace. As together we say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.